Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. All month long, we're going in-depth to learn the science behind different medical conditions. Today, we're learning all about cancer, what it is, how it works, and if there's anything you can do to prevent it. Joining us today is District Medical Group Physician, Sarabi Amar. She is the Academic Director of Hematology Oncology at Valleywise Health and an Associate Professor of Medicine at both the University of Arizona here in Phoenix, as well as the new Creighton University School of Medicine. Dr. Amar, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Valleywise Health and the patients you care for. We have a hematology oncology division at Valleywise Health, which basically takes care of patients with cancer and blood disorders. Most of our patients come from the underserved community. We have a lot of Hispanic patients. So we have interpreters, Spanish interpreters in the clinic to help them. We also get a lot of referrals from all over the state, actually, for uninsured patients because they are not able to get cancer treatment anywhere else. So I think we are providing a very vital service to our community. It's truly a part of our mission here at Valleywise Health is to provide access to that health care of whoever needs it, no matter of their ability to pay. In a lot of these areas, especially in this field of hematology and oncology, a lot of challenges to get access to some of these types of treatments. Yes, like financial constraints is one of the biggest reasons like people delay cancer care, cancer diagnosis, and unfortunately that affects you know how well they do with the disease. So we've talked a little bit about, said the words hematology and oncology, and we've said the word cancer, but we really haven't defined what that means. So what is cancer when we say that? So it's the C word that's most feared, you know, by everyone. To simplify it, I would say the cells are building blocks of our body. In a normal person, before we get cancer, the cells get old, they die out. When we are developing cancer, these cells just kind of go on autopilot, start dividing and refuse to die. And then they start invading the normal parts of the body. And that is cancer. How many different types of cancers do we know about? We hear all about different types of blood cancers. We hear about skin cancers. We hear about lung cancer. It seems to me that cancer can be anywhere. That's exactly right, Dr. White. So as many organs we have, each organ can give rights to many different types of cancers, actually. If we go at the classification, there are more than 120 cancers recorded but each organ can have many different types of cancers arising. And what are the most common types of cancers? So this is really important. I would say breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, those are the most important ones, and melanoma in skin cancer, especially in a state like Arizona. Yeah, certainly we talk a lot about us being in an area where we see the sun a lot, and especially with a lot of UV light around it. And certainly we see a lot of skin cancer in our practices here around it because of that. And people tend to move to Arizona that want to spend time outside. So we're certainly at risk for that. Yes, and it's one of the most preventable cancers. So if we put on sunscreen, sun protection, long sleeves, hat, please don't use tanning beds. Has cancer always been an issue or is this something more of a modern phenomenon that we're seeing as, you know, societies evolve, as we make changes uh, to our diets and things? Are we seeing more cancer now than maybe ever existed before? So that's a really interesting question. 
And I actually researched it to see, I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know how long back. So they found a turtle, 240 millions old, and years old, and their bone had cancer. So it's been around for a while. And Egyptian mummies, more than 3000 BC, they had cancer. So we've always had it, but humans only used to live about 30 to 35 years of age. So if you are already dead, you're not going to get cancer. Now we live into our 80s, 90s, so more chances of developing cancer. Yeah, it's really that unregulated or unstoppable cell growth, right? And to yes. your point, as longer that we live, the more chances that those cells may have a chance to, you know, kick off and do some of that abnormal um, area. Who can get cancer? Who's most susceptible to get this? So sure, like anybody, irrespective of ethnicity, age, gender, can get cancer. But the older we get, we are more likely to get cancer. 90% of cancers happen in people above 50 years of age. Is there any sorts of things that make us more susceptible to cancer, such as stress? Does that, can that cause this type of, of reaction? Sure, so that's like so common these days, especially with the pandemic going on, everybody's stressed out. So there are two different types of stress mainly. Acute stress, which lasts for a little bit of time, right? Like you're caught in traffic, you got delayed to work, you're like really stressed out. Usually that doesn't have any long-term side effects. Chronic stress can actually affect how our body responds to things, you know. Something like we're dealing with the pandemic for more than one year now, that is going to cause chronic stress. And yes, that can increase our susceptibility to cancer because the body's natural mechanisms to fight cancer, they are struggling. If you're just tuning in, we're talking all about the fascinating science behind cancer. Valleywise Health offers exceptional health care at over a dozen locations across Maricopa County. If you need any medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. So we talked a little bit about the sun being a form of skin cancer. Are there other environmental factors that can increase somebody's risk of developing cancer? Sure. So actually most of the so-called modifiable, which is like in our control factors, are environmental, right? So smoking, I would say, is the top one reason. And obesity is actually catching up really fast. So 18% of people in the U.S. who get cancer, it's somehow related to either their diet or their lack of activity or increased body weight. So certainly all of those things that we talk about routinely on this program is, you know, about living your healthiest life. And certainly as a heart doctor, I advocate never to smoke around that, but certainly in this space as well, another reason for, you know, tobacco and, and smoking cessation here as well, as well as staying active from there. We know that these environmental factors may be part of it as well, but what are, are there genetic risk factors? Are there possibilities around this because of your heritage? Sure. So there are two factors here. One is about 3 to 10% of cancers run in families. So, you know, people, your parents or aunts, uncles, somebody had cancer. There are just a lot of cancers running in your family. So you might have inherited something that some of those can be detected by modern tests. Some of those cannot be. So you've inherited something that predisposes you to cancer. So there's really nothing you can do to fix that problem. The second is other genetic factors. So the science of cancer basically says that environmental factors like sunlight, viruses, our lifestyle, they cause some mutations in our genes. So that is the starting factor. So something goes off in our genetic material which makes us grow a cancer. 
interesting. You touched on one of those things that I was going to ask you is, is cancer contagious? Now, you just stated there that there are some viruses that we know of that can lead to cancer. The one that I think about the most is the human pampilova virus, you know, when we talk about cervical cancer. But are there other viruses that can lead to a cancer-type diagnosis? So that's a great question, actually. So the answer is yes and no. So cancer itself is not contagious. So if I have cancer, you sit next to me, share food with me, you're not going to catch cancer from that. The only way you can directly catch cancer for another person is through an organ transplant. So if you got an organ transplant from me and I had cancer, then there's potential that you can get it. That's why most transplant programs don't take organs from people who have had cancers. And if I go to donate blood, if I've had a blood cancer, I'm not allowed to donate blood. If I've had any other kind of cancer, I need to be so-called cancer-free for one year before I can give blood. So the chances that you can catch it from somebody are very low. But to answer the second part of your question, a lot of viruses can prime the body to get cancer. These include HIV virus, hepatitis C virus, hepatitis B virus, and most importantly, the human papilloma virus. So you can catch these viruses from other people, and that may lead to you getting a cancer. Out of these, the HPV or human papilloma virus is the only one we have a vaccine against. So here's my unashamed plug for HPV vaccination. Everybody, boy, girl, from the age of 11 onwards to age 26 should get vaccinated. And it has almost like more than 90 to 100% protection. You're unlikely to get the high-risk form of HPV, which can give you cancer if you get vaccinated. And it's quite safe. Certainly, we learn more and more, you know, especially over the last year through the COVID-19 pandemic as we're coming around this, the importance of vaccine and vaccine against virus. And I think you're absolutely right. It's been just hugely beneficial. You know, we have seen the rates of cervical cancer just markedly diminished back from when you and I started practice. The prevalence used to be significantly higher. And having this effective, almost preventative therapy around it has just been, it's truly been a game changer in this space. Correct. When we talk about cancer, we talk a lot about treatment, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more as we go through this, but can cancer be cured? Can you ever say that cancer is truly cured? So that's kind of a difficult question to answer. So the real answer is right now, no. By cure, we mean there's no trace of cancer in the body and it will never come back, right? So we can get to a point where from the tests available, we can't find any trace of cancer. So that is what's called remission. So at that point, you know, we hope that the person is cured. And at five years, if you're still in remission, a lot of doctors will say, yes, you're cured. But does that mean that the cancer can be guaranteed 100% it will not come back? The answer to that is no. So once you have had cancer, you'll always have that risk that it can come back. But usually the longer you're cancer free, the chances go down. When we talk about cancer, we talk about the different cancer diagnoses, since we've said there are so many of them, of over the 120 that you were telling us about earlier around it. How do we define how extensive the cancer is? You hear a lot of people as they're describing and communicating with their loved ones about various stages of cancer. Kind of help me and help us learn about what some of those stages are and what they mean. So most cancers have four stages, stage one to four. Higher the number, more advanced the cancer. That means it's spread to more areas. Let's talk about breast cancer. So if you just have the cancer in the breast, that would be one. Two and three is when it's spreading to local areas, like it's stuck to your chest or it's gone to the lymph nodes in your underarm. That would make it stage two or three. Four is when it goes to other parts of the body. 
like, you know, liver, brain, just spreads to other areas. Dr. Sarabi Amar is going in-depth with us all about things cancer. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. So we talked about the stages there a little bit. How are we able as clinicians to begin to treat these various stages of cancer? Sure, so the good news is we have many, many more treatments than we had even like five, 10 years ago, right? So that's the good news for patients. The survival from cancer has actually improved like almost 30% if we go back to the 1970s and compare it to now. And it's improving by about 2% every year. So all that is good news, but it does make the field quite complicated. So I'll just go over the basic categories of treatment. The top one that everybody probably knows about is surgery, right? So if it's just in one spot or, you know, so they can cut it out. A lot of the early cancers are treated with surgery. The second most common thing is chemotherapy. So those are either pills or infusions that are given into the body, and they kind of try and kill the cancer cells off. So this can be given either to reduce the size of the cancer so that surgeon can cut it out more easily or to just keep the cancer under control for as long as we can. Another form of treatment is radiation therapy. That's like, imagine getting an x-ray, but the beams are invisible, you can't see them. So something goes into your body, goes to the area where the cancer is, it's targeted to that area and tries to kill those cells off. There are various you know, modalities in which it can be used. It can be given to like multiple parts of the body, or sometimes they implant what's called brachytherapy. So they put seeds inside you, which give out the radiation you know, slowly over a period of time. The new thing, new kid on the block, is immune therapy, which a lot of our listeners might have heard about. This is really exciting, and this is making the concept of cure almost within reach for oncologists. So we are very excited about this. And this treatment is getting approved for more and more cancers every single day. To go back a little bit, immune cells are just cells everybody has in the body, and they fight infection. Anything foreign, like you, you, you know, somebody's walking around, they sneeze at you, you get a virus. The immune cells rush there, attack it, try to keep you disease-free. They also help us find cancer. So when they see cancer cells, sometimes they're able to recognize them and kill them off. But the cancer cells are very savvy, so they can sort of fool the immune cells into thinking that they're normal cells. So the immune treatments make the immune cells smarter. So now they can see, hey, that's a cancer cell. I need to chew that up and spit it out. So we just rev up our immune system to attack the cancer cells. And that's certainly a much more added benefit than some of these other modalities that you were talking about that can certainly have more adverse effects, more side effects of that. You know, we, we talk about chemotherapy. We can certainly see sometimes the devastation that not only the, the cancer may have on an individual, but just the treatment itself. Using the immune system to do that, your own body's, you know, functioning, you know, defense system to help fight these cancers is, to your point, truly a breakthrough and revolutionizing uh, the field. Yes, actually the Nobel Prize, I think it's either for medicine or chemistry, went to the people who discovered this treatment, like last year or year before last. So everybody recognizes this as the major breakthrough it is. What are some of the things that patients may decide you know, needs to be evaluated by a hematologist and oncologist because their concern 
that they may have a cancer diagnosis. What should prompt somebody to come see a physician such as yourself? So I would say, you know, the common signs and symptoms of cancer could be something as simple as, you know, weight loss that is not explained. So that would be a common thing. Any pain or lump anywhere that's just not going away, right? Any unexplained pain. So if you tweaked your back moving furniture, but three months later, it's just not going away, I wouldn't say rush to the cancer doctor, but I would say get your primary care to make sure nothing else is going on. Other things would be any specific, like the common thing for with lung cancer is it's a very common cancer. I would say if you have a cough, if you're coughing up blood, right? If you have chest pain, which is not going away, anything that's nagging and not going away, I would say needs an evaluation. Yeah, I think certainly that we know, as we've talked about, since it can affect so many different parts of the body, having that trusting relationship with a healthcare provider that can help you work through these symptoms to really decide what other things may be necessary in order to evaluate this. We've talked a lot about different types of cancer, and certainly we talked about cervical cancer earlier. Are there screening things as we get older, since we know that, you know, again, cancer increases in prevalence and our chances get worse as we get older? Are there things that we should be doing with in partnership with our primary care provider in order to help identify cancer earlier? To your point, better if we can define it earlier. Are there certain screening tests that we should be doing to help us decrease the chance we're going to have severe disease in the future? So you caught my thought wave because I was just going to jump to that and then here we are. So I would say finding cancer early or finding it in a pre-cancerous stage. What that basically means is it hasn't become cancer yet, but it's not really normal. So if you take it out, you'll never get cancer because it's got the abnormal part has been removed. So we have screening tests for a few cancers now. I would say cervical cancer, which is screened with a pap smear. So please see your primary care. All sexually active women should get a pap smear. The guidelines keep changing as to what age. Usually it's whenever you become sexually active, that's when they start doing the pap smear. They can do it every one to three years, depending on your risk factors, depending on whether you have HPV or not. Mammograms, very important. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. Most women over 40 are at more risk. So different authorities give, give different guidelines. And if you have a strong family history, for example, you might need to get started screening like sooner. But usually at 40 years of age, every one to two years, you need to get a mammogram. Please see your primary care for that. And I want to make, it, make a point here that because of the pandemic, a lot of women delayed their mammograms. And we are seeing a lot of advanced cancers this year. So please get your mammograms. The third most important screening tool that we have is colonoscopy. So colon cancer is the third most common cancer in the United States. And it's really actually preventable because it first forms a polyp, which is like a nodule in the colon, and that can take five to 10 years to actually change into a cancer. So if you catch it then and remove it, the cancer will never happen. So this screening is usually recommended at age 50 and above, but now they're trying to change it to 45. It really just continues to demonstrate all of the things that we continue to learn about cancer and cancer care in each of these recommendations. As you said, it's ever-changing, and that's you know why it's so important to have that provider relationship so that you can be up on what some of these tools are and some of these screening things. Today we're talking with Dr. Surabi Amar about all things around cancer and those areas that we can do to help prevent that. You know, we've talked a little bit about um, some of these things um, around cancer and cancer care. 
Is there anything in our families that we should do if we're diagnosed with cancer to inform our children or their children um, around some of these diseases? And again, things that may help decrease their risk of having problems in the future. That's a great question, Dr. White. So like we discussed before, about three to 10% cancers can run in families. This is a conversation with your primary care and your cancer doctor. If they feel that you might have something that might be running in your family, they can send you for genetic counseling. Recommendations are increasing more and more for like almost everybody who gets cancer to get genetic counseling, right? So then they'll test you if you have a specific thing that you might be carrying, which could be present in your family, then your siblings, parents, children, they need to get tested or they need to discuss the results with their primary care doctor. Yeah, I think it's important to have that informed discussion because again, you know, these can be somewhat, you know, challenging diagnoses, not only for an individual, but their implications on their families as well, especially for these genetic type of cancers. You know, since it is such a complicated diagnosis, are there other healthcare professionals you involve as part of the team and the treatment team that may be helpful in helping an individual go through the treatment uh, if they're diagnosed with cancer? So definitely, Dr. White, it takes a village to treat cancer, basically. So I'm the medical oncologist, so if something like chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and the overall planning and care of the patient would be with somebody like me. But there's so many people involved. There'll be a cancer surgeon, if they need surgery, there'll be a radiation oncologist if they need radiation. And important things like physical therapists, nutritionists, genetic counselors, they all have a very important role to play in cancer care. It really is. And you know, and I think partly too in what we've seen, especially in a number of these diagnoses, you know, we've talked about breast cancer, cervical cancer, colon cancer. We're starting to see such a large community of other survivors of these conditions and the support they may be able to provide in education and resources around how uh, different individuals have coped with this. Right, like American Cancer Society has a lot of resources. We even have a you know, employee from them who comes in time to time. They help patients with things like wigs, just connecting with other patients with similar problems, creating a community and helping them with their other needs. Dr. Mars, we kind of close out our discussion here today. What are three things that we can leave our audience with that may help them inform them around cancer and things that they can do to help treat themselves and their families if they are ever in this situation? So I think prevention, prevention, prevention. I think that would be the first thing, right? So if I had to simplify it and try to come up with the motto, I would say start moving, stop smoking, and start cooking food at home. Wow, those are three just important things around that because, again, we certainly talked about those environmental factors. Again, how about any of those screening tests that we should be doing? Right. So, again, the screening tests like pap smears, mammograms, colonoscopies, please be in touch with your primary care providers. When the pandemic numbers are low, that's the time to come in, get your tests done, then you're good for a few years. Absolutely. Again, that trusting relationship with your provider um, around that and things. And I think, you know, always, anytime that we can stay active and very physically active a well is going to help us, you know, be able to um, decrease our chances that we would get, right. you know, any of these. And types then of decreasing cancers. alcohol intake, I think it's a very unpopular notion, but that's another biggie. Absolutely. Again, 
you know, as we've talked a lot about cancer being an uncontrolled part of ourselves and our body, anything that we do that may injure our body through tobacco, through alcohol, through, you know, any sort of other illicit substances really just increases the risk that one of ourselves just may take off and, and cause us a problem. Right. And like, since there are so many variables, we have few things we can control. So, you know, healthy food, activity level, those are the things, you know, healthy lifestyle. Those are the things that are under our control. Absolutely. Dr. Amar, thank you so much for your time today. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our podcasts and information at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Dr. Mark, thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. White. It was a pleasure to be here. Everyone have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.